Now, Genesis chapter 12. In chapter 12, we start a new section that Pastor Matt will continue on in this series of Genesis. But we start a new section here in chapter 12. And remember, Genesis is not intended as a textbook for science or some Wikipedia entry on scientific information. The purpose of this book is to show us and remind us that God is sovereignly pursuing and unfolding a plan. There's a plan. And it was enacted. The failure of humanity led them at this point in the book to be cursed and kicked out of God's circle of blessing. Chapters 1-3. through Mankind's then continued failure through pride and through arrogance brought the flood and brought the dispersion following the Tower of Babel, chapters 4 through 11, that we've been looking at over the last couple weeks. Genesis 1 through 11 speeds by us in large sweeps of creating and in broad brushes of failure to bring us to chapter 12. You can get done reading chapter 11 and think, all hope is lost. And if you stop reading and you don't continue to chapter 12, that is exactly how you will feel. That is exactly how you will leave. That is exactly how you will live. But all hope is not lost. The story of Genesis goes on after that flood flood of judgment. It goes on after that tower of arrogance. And now beginning in chapter 12, with huge giant strokes of redemption, The book stops looking at all of creation as a whole and it starts to zoom in on one particular family. A family that God intends to accomplish His special purposes. God is now going to choose a special people for Himself to redeem them out of the world for His own glory. And from now in chapter 12 to the end of the book, we we focus in on this family And the main characters being Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's son, Joseph. But remember, they are not the greatest characters of this book. As we continue from chapter 12 to the end, we will encounter the greatest character of this book, God Himself. Self. And today in Genesis 12, 1-9, we encounter one promise to one man for many people. Would you bow in prayer with me, please? Father God in heaven, as we come to your text this morning to be reminded of truths we no doubt have heard, a narrative story that we have heard for many, many years. God, remind us anew. Refresh us again with your sovereignty and your care and your love. Refresh us again with the gospel. And may these reminders that you establish in this Old Testament narrative to us this morning, may these reminders re-energize us for gospel living today so that you alone will receive the glory for what is done in our lives and in the ministry of this church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Pastor Mark Dever of Capitol Hill Baptist Church said this about Genesis chapter 12. 
the most crucial event in the Bible between the fall of Adam and the birth of Christ occurs in Genesis chapter 12. I read that and I thought, wow, that's pretty fanciful. There's a lot of things that happen. He says the the most crucial event, this call in verses 1 through 9, sets off the story of the rest of the Bible. Here, the camera zooms in, he says, on one family line, the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And just as we found out that God displays his character through all of creation, now we begin to find, Pastor Dever says, now we, we find in this latter part of Genesis, God wants to continue to do the same thing, to display his character through the special people he calls out from the world. The same themes that we've just learned about in chapters 1 through 11 are now worked out more fully, more specifically in the lives of God's people. So today we meet Abram, who I will probably call Abraham even though his name hasn't changed much. It hasn't changed yet. So please forgive me for my, for my flipping back and forth between Abram and Abraham. We meet Abram and when we meet him for the first time, He is in a world that is still lost in their own depravity. Abram is in a world that is doing what is right in their own eyes. Abram is in a world that is full of worshipers that are groping for any God that will give them what they want. And according to Joshua, later on in the Pentateuch, Abraham is no different than the world around him. He is a worshiper that is groping for any God that will give him what they want. Abram's no different. He too is all of these things when we meet him here in chapter 12. There is nothing holy, there's nothing righteous about Abraham that would persuade God to choose him. He's an idol worshiper. He's lost. In his own depravity. And and Abram, like mankind, needed someone outside of himself to act on his behalf. He was destined for judgment unless God did something. Which is exactly what God is in the business of doing. He is in the business of doing something. Something that will reveal his power. Something that will reveal his glory. Something that will reveal his plan and the next step and the next stage of that plan. This is what is all unfolding for us in the promise of verses 1 through 9. It is out of this dark environment that one day Abram receives a call. It was a call to leave his pagan land and his pagan practices. It was a call that he can't ignore. Boy, isn't it easy to ignore those calls now that you don't really want to talk to? You just swipe and it's gone. Right? My favorite call is when I get that call from from that friend of mine. His name is Scam Likely. Man, that is one of my favorite calls. Maybe some of you can remember, some of you might have to tell your kids, you remember the old landline, you couldn't just ignore that call. That thing just kept ringing and ringing and ringing until the person on the other end decided to hang up. That's not this kind of call. His landline wasn't ringing. He couldn't ignore this. Abram 
is at a point of choice in his life. This is a call given to him by God that he must make a decision about. A call that contains a promise of what God will do for him, but it's a call that also comes with blessings. And it also comes with a command to be a blessing to the world. So as this passage is structured out for us with this command to Abraham, there are two commands here that are then followed by seven clauses that contain the promise from God to Abraham. There are two commands, two direct imperatives to Abraham that are each then surrounded or followed by three clusters of promise. Verse 1 contains the first command, to go or to leave. Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your family. Ascending order of what was required, the personal sacrifice that was going to take It would be as if God said, Jeremy, I want you to leave Minnesota and go minister somewhere else. Okay, we could do that. I mean, I really like it here. It's home. Well, not only do I want you to leave Minnesota, I want you to also leave your extended family, your your aunts and your uncles. Okay, well, I got a few crazy uncles, so I mean, that might not be too hard. And then it would be as if God would say, Leave your family, your mom and dad who are only an hour south of here, your four brothers that are scattered around the state. Just leave them and you're not coming back and you're not going to have any more contact with them. Okay, if I can get through the first two, I'm getting the third one and I'm really uncomfortable. This is what Abram is facing. Leave your way of life. Leave everything that you know. Leave your your circle of influence, your circle of support. Leave your livelihood. Leave your inheritance that's all coming to you. Just go. And go to a land. He doesn't even know at this point in the call that that land is going to be his land and that that's part of the promise. He doesn't know that it's going to be Canaan. He's just told to go. Just leave. Just that there is a land... And someday it's going to happen. So the first command comes to him to go, to leave. And then here in verse 2, as was read a moment ago, the command to leave comes with a promise. The first promise here in the text we read is, I will. It's worth pausing for a moment. And letting the silence of the room fall on those words. I will. This is who God is. This is what he promises. There's no if I get around to it. Or if I'm not busy. Or if I don't have another pressing need. I will, he says to Abram. I will make you a great nation. God's promise that Abram would become a great nation assaulted his reality. Which is what the promises of God often do, don't they? 
God promises this, but that really assaults my reality because my reality doesn't look like that. That's where Abram's at. It'd be one thing if he had multiple children and grandchildren and the family reunions were huge at this point, but they're not. It's Abram and it's Sarah. And that's it. And the promise, the I will that God says here is, I will make you a great nation. It assaulted his reality. It was against everything that he saw in front of him because Abram was childless. Sarah was barren. They had no descendants, although that's what the promise was. He had no power, although that's what's in the promise. He had no prestige, but that's what was in the promise. Only God was the one who could do this for them. And so he stood there listening to a call with a promise, having nothing, seeing nothing, having no concept of how this could happen. It assaulted his reality. The second blessing that comes under this first command here to go, the first one is, I will make you a great nation. The next one is, I will bless you. This is a a promise of material blessing. He will be well off. Followed by the third blessing, I will make your name great. Again, each of these is introduced with those two heavy words for us today. I will, God says. Here he says, I will make your name great. Now hopefully, very quickly, You remember back to the Tower of Babel that we've recently studied under Pastor Matt's teaching and preaching. This is the exact opposite, isn't it? This is exactly what they wanted. This is exactly what the Tower of Babel was all about. And God says to Abram, what they wanted and what they pursued wrongly, I'm going to give to you. I am going to make you known. I'm going to make you honored. I am going to give you widespread influence. I'm going to give you a legacy, Abram. Kind of a popular term we use today, isn't it? Especially if you're asking for money. Give to my ministry. Make it your legacy. Legacy giving. What do you want your legacy to be? Jeremy, what's your legacy going to be when your ministry at Fourth Baptist is over? What are you striving to make your legacy? God says, Abram, I'm going to give you that. But it's not because you deserve it. It's not because you can pursue it. And if we're going to pursue, pursue anything in terms of a legacy, may it follow in the path of Abram as we will see in weeks to come that our legacy is to be nothing more than faithfulness. To be faithful to what God has called us to do and leave the rest to God. That's what Abram is being promised here. God communicates in this text with the I wills and the structure of it. He communicates a determination, a resolve to accomplish this in Abram. It's a one-sided promise that's eventually going to become a covenant by the time we get to, to chapter 15 and it's ratified there. This is the promise of the covenant that will be ratified in chapter 15. But God is saying, Abram, this has nothing to do with you. I am determined and I am resolved to do this for you. You don't have to meet this list of demands. There are commands. 
He had to make a choice if he was going to follow, if he was going to obey, if he was going to walk in faith. But God says, I'm determined to do this for you. And so the first command is to go, followed by that first cluster of promises, which are really all towards Abram himself. And then in verse 2, we read of a promise that is also a command. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This command, which is also part of the promise, is that he will be a blessing, is also a command to go and be a blessing. And this command transitions this passage from being all about Abram as the recipient of this blessing. That's what we read in verse 2. To now, he is the mediator of a blessing to the rest of the world. There's a a big shift that happens here in verse 2. It's not just all about him. It's about what God wants to do through him. And, And this command is that transition that Abram becomes not just the receiver of blessing, but then the mediator, it comes through him, the conduit that goes out, as we'll see, to the rest of the world. This is God's intention for Abram. This is what he is deliberate about wanting to do. He wants to use him to bless the world. How is Abram going to bless the world? God wants to use him to show the world who the true God is. Remember, they're worshipers groping for any God that will bring them what what they want. God wants Abram to be an ambassador for himself. So in the course of this mediator of this blessing to the world, he desires that Abram and his family and the nation that is coming becomes an object lesson to the world of who God is and what God can do. And so in verse 3, we see the mediation of this blessing through Abraham to the world. So the first command, as this passage is structured out, the first command is to go or leave, and then it's followed by the the three specific promises to Abram personally. The second command, which is part of the promise, is that he then be a blessing to the world. And here are the three, the second cluster of promises. There will be blessings to those who bless Abraham and curses on others. The attitude that God takes towards others will depend on their attitude towards Abram. And the opposite is true. God seems to be staking his claim with Abram. And Abram with God. And for others to stake their claim with Abram is to also stake their claim with Abram's God. And for that, God will bless them. Or God will curse them. And then... In verse 3, all the world, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the ultimate goal of this previously stated promise. How, How this blessing is received involves Abraham. All the precise ways and nuances that it's going to come to be and, and become a reality is a bit ambiguous in the language, and at this point in the story. And so in the weeks to come, we're going to be reminded 
of some more Old Testament narratives that we're very familiar with, that you read and have read with your kids and you're reading with your grandkids. And as you read them and as you think and as we sit under the preaching of Genesis for the rest of this series, remember the thread of God that runs through this. That it is not just about Abram and Isaac and Jacob. Remember and be challenged to remember how God is fleshing this out to the people of the earth. He says all the people, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is the source of this. Six times through this text we read, I will. Abram is the channel. This is the promise now of the covenant that is coming. The formal covenant in chapter 15 that God will ratify, that we will study in a, in a few weeks. But Abram still has a choice. God's commanding him to go, to leave, and to, to accept everything that God says he will do without seeing what exactly it will be. Abram still had a choice. And so in verses 4 through 9, we see what that choice was. And we know. We know the story. We know the choice. Abraham, in verse 4, what did he do? He went. He obeyed. And then in verses 7 and 8, as it was read for us, what do we see Abram doing? He worshipped. He worshipped. As he was going through the land and establishing the altars, what are they? They're altars of remembrance. They're altars of worship. This is what God said He will do. This is where God is leading me. He's going to do this. Abraham obeyed. Abraham worshipped. And then from some other scriptures in the, in the Bible, we know that Abram trusted. Abram found his way into Hebrews chapter 11, didn't he? By faith. In Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, let me read them for you, because this is also evidence of Abram's trust in this promise. Paul wrote this, In hope, he, Abram, believed against hope. In hope, he believed when there was no hope. That he should become the father of many nations, as he has been told, so shall your offspring be, Paul says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body at the age that he was with no children. Paul says, he did not weaken in his faith even though he knew bodily and physically he was as good as dead, Paul said, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's, Sarah's womb, he did not Weaken in faith, Paul says. No unbelief, verse 20 of Romans chapter 4, says no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, verse 21, that God was able to do what he promised. God was able to do what he promised. And so we are introduced to Abram at this stage in his life. A pagan idol worshiper who's now been given a promise of the true God. And he obeys. He goes. He leaves. And then he waits for this promise to come 
to be. So what? So what? What's that have to do with you? What's that have to do with what you have to get up and face tomorrow morning? What's that have to do with what you have going on that you've been fighting in your mind this morning to push out and concentrate on this text? So what? Great! God gave a guy a promise and some land and some extra money so he wasn't poor. What does that have to do with us? What is, what's the bridge from Abram to us? Can I encourage you to ask that question every time you come to the Word? Ask yourself that question as you study the Word, as the Word is preached to us. So what? What does this have to do with me? How is God's favor or blessing shown to us? What do we do with this? This call of Abram's is not a call to us to leave. This is not a promise to you or to me to make our name great or to give us land. This is not a promise to make a nation out of us. But I would say that the Stephens nation does have a a real nice ring to it. At least to me. This narrative account connects us. It connects to us when we see the nature and the character of God displayed in this promise. God is the one that is on display. And this is where we can see the bridge to our lives. This really isn't about Abram. It's about God. It's about His covenant-keeping promises and His power to make it happen. And so as we're going to see in the weeks to come, when Pastor Matt's back and jumps back into Genesis, we're going to see how God keeps this promise. How God ratifies this covenant with Abram. But for now, let me, let me leave you today thinking and applying this narrative in a couple different ways. First of all, the end of the promise. The last piece of the promise, we are told, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. The last piece of this promise takes on its greatest fulfillment in the fact that Jesus Christ became the means of blessing to the world. The greatest part of this promise, which is the bridge to our lives and our situations today, is that Jesus Christ came to be the means of blessing to this world. Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 3, Now the promises that were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say, and to his offsprings, plural, referring to many, Paul says, but it refers to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Later to the Galatians, Paul said, and if you are Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul's referencing the promise of Genesis chapter 12. The blessing to the world is the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the question that we first of all must entertain this morning, looking at this promise, the question is, do you belong to Christ? Are you of the same faith as Abram? Because God promises in Christ to do for you what you can't do for yourself. 
It's exactly like what it was for Abram and his promise. He couldn't do this. He needed somebody to intervene for him. And you and I stand before this same God and we have to ask ourselves, am I of the same faith as Abram? God promises to do for you what you can't do yourself, to save you from your sins. He is as determined to do this for you as he was to fulfill these promises to Abraham. Because baked into this promise is the promise of a Savior that will bring blessings to the world. This is what God has done for you through the cross of Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have not repented of your sins, you're not of the faith of Abraham. This is why Jesus died. So that you may be saved. If, if you have never considered the truth of God's Word, but you are feeling moved by the Gospel story presented in this promise today, then let me urge you to listen to God's Word. Turn from your sins and place your faith in Christ. Confess your faith in Christ right now. You can do that right where you're at and become of Abraham's family and of Abraham's faith. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It comes from the same God who told Abraham six times, I will do this. And we are told as that promise unfolds and the blessing for all the world is that I will save you. So if you're here without Christ today, you've never asked Jesus to save you of your sins, I invite you to ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and and put your faith in Him today. If you want to talk more about that, come see myself or Pastor Jared or someone next to you. There are plenty of people here who know this Gospel story who would love to show you the truth of this blessing and how it can come to rest in your life. Now for the majority of us who are believers here, how do we bridge this to us? Three ways I will give you this morning. Number one, remember the presence of God in your life. God is present and He is active in your life right now. Just like He was for Abram, He was present. Abraham had nothing except God's determination to bless him. That's all he had to go on was God's presence and His promise. And while he's wandering around like a nomad... He was going to have to remember the presence of God. And we're going to see that in the weeks to come, how God reminded Abram many times of his presence. So my friends, when you are facing uncertainty in life, when you are facing deep trials in life, sorrow, grief, loss, no matter how big, no matter how small, Maybe you're facing a new season of life that is bringing new challenges to you. Maybe you're here today and you just feel all alone. You feel abandoned by those closest to you. No friends, no one to talk to, no one who seems to understand what you're going through. Remember God's presence in your life. And remember that God's presence in your life means He's already there. He's already there. Remember that you are never alone. 
no matter how alone you feel. You're never alone. And remember the words of Jesus, I am with you always. Remember the presence of God in your life. Second of all, rest in the peace of God in your life. Jesus promises rest in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary, I will give you rest. God promises peace that passes all understanding in Philippians 4. God displayed his character again in Isaiah when he said, have perfect peace, you will find perfect peace when your mind is stayed on me. So find rest and peace in God. Abram's going to have to do that. He's going to have to find rest and peace in who God is as he waits for this promise to be played out. So for us, find rest and peace in God. Maybe you're waiting for someone you love dearly to change or someone you love dearly to get saved or for a prodigal child to come home. Maybe you're in a difficult marriage or parenting right now is really hard. Or maybe you're estranged from your family. You can find the peace and the contentment in your, in your life through Christ. You can find peace and contentment in your singleness as God's perfect plan for you right now. Find peace in God through your physical pain, through your illnesses, through your disabilities, through your aging. We can still find peace and comfort, and rest in who God is. It is available to you as you trust Him. As we fight, leaning, and thinking, and processing life by our own understanding, we can find this peace. It is available to us. Even when we don't know what's coming next. Number three, rely on the promises of God in your life. When you start to study the promises of God, as this promise did to Abram, it will assault your reality. You will read the promises in the text of Scripture from God, from the writers of Scripture, and you will say, but my life doesn't look like that right now. It doesn't feel like that. And your emotions are going to play tricks on you. And they're going to beat you, and they're going to pound you into believing this promise isn't true. The promises of Scripture, my friend, will assault your reality. They'll assault exactly what's going on right now. And yet God calls us to rely on His promises. God promises to save you and to keep you saved. You're here this morning, maybe, maybe you struggle with doubting your salvation. There's no need to. God's the one that has you secure. God promises to help and to watch over you, Psalm 121 says. God promises that all things will work out for the good of His children. You want something to assault your reality and your emotions? There it is right there in Romans 8, 28, isn't it? It doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like things are working out for good. But God says, trust my promises. 
Trust that I am present. Trust that I am at work in your life right now. God promises to comfort you in your trials. And many of you have stories upon stories of how God has comforted you in harder trials than I've ever had to face. We're also reminded that in the comfort that we've received, we have a deep responsibility to comfort others in their times of hurt and sorrow. God promises comfort. And then Hebrews chapter 13, we are promised that Jesus will never leave you. You'll notice that these three actions that I've given you to take and go home with on, on your part all start with your thinking. They're more thinking than they are doing, aren't they? Because your thoughts determine your feelings and your emotions. And your thoughts will then dictate your actions. And so this call to action is, first of all, a call to think rightly about your life. So lead your heart to be like Abram. Lead your heart to have faith in God. And against all hope, in hope, believe. Believe in a God who promises and a God who can make it happen. Let's pray.